Uh, we're privileged to have Matt Zawada with us. I mentioned earlier he's with uh, Ethnos 360. He's a mobilization director at the Ethnos Bible Institute in Jackson, Michigan. Uh, he was with us last year for our middle school camp, and uh, he's been to one of our missions conferences, and him and his wife, Deborah serve in Jackson, Michigan at the time being. And uh, it's just been, I've really enjoyed getting to know Matt over the last maybe two years or two and a half years that, uh, that we've known each other, and he has a heart for the Lord. He has a heart for people. And uh, I know that, uh, that you'll be blessed. So, Matt, come on and uh, just encourage you to share what the Lord's got on your heart this morning. I'm, I'm going to pray for you and then, and then turn it over. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to um, just look into your word and, and see what you say um, for us this morning. And uh, I thank you for Matt. I thank you for Deborah and their ministry. Lord, we pray for them that you would uh, continue to uh, keep them encouraged, keep them motivated and, uh, and passionate about the work that you have for them. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you would give us ears to hear this morning message from you in Jesus name. Amen. Um, well, again, it's so great to be here. Uh, we had the awesome opportunity to be here last year, speak at junior high and speak at the main service. So it's a, it's a huge honor to be back. Again, my wife and I were on staff at Ethnos 360 Bible Institute. It used to be called New Tribes Bible Institute for like 50 years. Um, we work with an organization that used to be called New Tribes Mission um, that plants churches among unreached people groups around the world. That's what my wife and I want to do with our lives. You want to help the gospel go to where it's never gone before, and that's what we're about. And Again, just so blessed to be here. Um, we're, we stayed in the, the missionary guest house last time. We're staying in it again. And I know it just got refurbished and it just looks awesome in there. We really appreciate it. Um, we broke a whole bunch of stuff when we were there last year. So it's great to see it all got fixed um, by the time we're back. So thanks for that. Uh, just kidding. Well, I can't say I'm kidding because I had a one and a half year old. So maybe he broke a whole bunch of stuff and I don't know about it. Uh, hopefully... Like last year, we could blame other people, but we can't this year because we're the first people staying in it uh, since it got fixed. So uh, whatever happens, it is on our shoulders. So um, yeah, actually go to the next slide for me. Um, this is my wife right there on the left. Her name's Deborah. That's our son, Finn. Uh, that's me. And then uh, that's Saoirse there. Um, we had a crazy year here. We had a uh, new baby. Uh, so that's Saoirse. Um, yeah, that's enough to make a year crazy. It's about enough change the next decade for us. Um, and it's just been great. They're both amazing. My wife is so amazing. Uh, Jerry made a joke about me marrying up this morning. Well, that's totally true. Uh, she's like the best. Um, next slide. Uh, that's Saoirse. Um, she's six months old right now, which is crazy. It's hard to believe. I didn't have like any sisters growing up. Um, so for me, like I've had people keep asking me, you know, what's it like to have uh, a daughter. And I remember the first time holding her, it felt like every guy on the planet became my enemy. That's what <laughs> having a daughter feels like. So if you have like a six month old like son, he's, he's just a punk to me, okay? Like <laughs> I'm sure he's cute and whatever, okay? I don't care. Um, yeah, she's great. Uh, next slide. This is my son, Finn. He looks adorable, I know, and that's how he gets you. Uh, in fact, he was planning on being here. We just found out, like, pretty much between services, we think he has hand, foot, and mouth. Uh, so that's why my wife and kids aren't here right now. So that's my wife's going to be taking care of him a lot this next week. So if you see her, 
just give her coffee, okay? Don't even like introduce yourself. Just hand her Starbucks and walk away because we slept about four hours last night and we'll probably be doing about the same this next week. Um, yeah, so anyway, like, I'm just super honored to be here. It's been great having a whole bunch of your students come through the Bible Institute where my wife and I work um, and just to see them grow and mature. And uh, now you got you know, a couple getting married here very, very soon, which is awesome. Um, yeah, I wanna pray and then we'll go ahead and get started here. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for our time here today. Thank you again for Blairsville. I pray that you just use this church uh, to further your gospel, Lord, to the ends of the earth, um, both here in Blairsville and where it's never been before. So we thank you for our time here today. We pray all this and uh, amen. Um, so I want to start off with a question. I got to pose this question to actually to the junior high students I taught last year. I just, I just always find myself coming back to it for my wife and I. Um, I think it's really, really good. There are two really good questions. Um, First one is this, what would it take for you to consider your life a success? And secondly, the reverse of that, what would it take for you to consider your life a failure? Like you guys have pen and paper, like I'm serious, I think you should write down your answers to those questions. Like they seem like obvious, but sometimes you never Sometimes we can go our whole lives and never verbalize our answers to these. Hugely important. It was so great watching the junior high students last year try and wrestle through this. Essentially, the question is, what are we living for, I guess? Are we measuring success by the right things? You know, I grew up in church. Uh, every single time the doors were open, my parents dragged me, my brother, my two brothers. Every time the doors were open, they dragged us to church. And I just never, like, for me growing up, it was just like church was a thing we did, and, and Jesus and God were like this event. And we went and did the whole Jesus thing on Wednesdays or Sundays or a camp or whatever. And never really crossed over to my day-to-day -day life. That was kind of where it ended. Um, I graduated high school a little bit early. I graduated 16. I went right to art school and had, uh, was getting my degree um, and building up my portfolio in art and had a job lined up and kind of knew the trajectory, knew where my life was heading. And at the age of 17, things changed for me. At the age of 17, I started playing an online video game called Guild Wars. Has anybody here ever heard of this game at this point in time? This is years ago. There we go. Dot over there. He knows what's up. Um, a lot of you, I can tell, are big gamers, so I don't need to explain it probably, but I'll go ahead anyway. Um, Guild Wars is a MMORPG. So for those of you who don't understand that, uh, it's a massive multiplier online role-playing game. So for those of you who don't understand that, uh, it's a video game where you are in this big virtual world with a whole bunch of other players. And in this virtual world, you do things like, you know, you kill the dragon, save the princess, you're accomplishing all these goals. You're on a team, you're like trying to level up your character. Uh, and when I was playing it, there's literally millions of players in this online virtual world. And the virtual world I was playing in was so big, it actually had its own currency, its own trading system, like its own stock market, so to speak. And in this virtual world, I got like really, I was like really into this. Like I was in, I was in school full time and I worked 20 hours a week or so. And I played this game, like in my heyday, I was playing like, like 30, 35 hours a week. Yeah, those gasps, I know you guys are impressed, okay? That's what, <laughs> that's what I heard, all right? I know, I know. Um, and, I got really good at like 
buying and selling in this virtual world. This is totally true. The story gets weirder every time I tell it. But in this virtual world of literally millions of people, I became about one of the top 100 or so richest people in this entire game. I had some of the uh, rarest weapons, the best armor, like had so much cash. Like, you guys aren't impressed, but you should be, okay? Like, I was a big deal, okay? All I'm asking for is the respect I deserve from you, okay? <laughs> Listen, yeah, people don't get it, but I was a big deal. Um, and one day I'm trying to buy this really rare weapon off of this German forum, and I don't speak German, but a buddy in my guild does. So I go over to my buddy and I ask him, hey, would you mind going and, and you know, doing all the work for me to, to buy this weapon? And I gave my buddy my username and password for this forum. What are you, what, what? <laughs> um, and the problem is, is that I use the same username and password for everything. So the next morning, I get up. Like, first thing I do is I go over to my computer and I open up my, my account and everything is gone. Guy like stole, like, even the stuff that wasn't even valuable, he took it all from me. I was just, I remember just like staring there, like, just like, un, cannot believe it. Everything I'd worked my whole life in this virtual world, everything I'd worked for was completely gone. Man, it's funny the things that God uses like to teach us. Because even though I couldn't go and take all my virtual wealth I had amassed to go buy a cup of coffee, it was valuable to me because I'd invested so much time and effort and energy into this virtual game. And so God used this thing to illustrate some eternal truths to me. Because I remember sitting there and all of a sudden it dawned on me. Man, I could live my life just like this. I could spend my whole life in the pursuit of more, the pursuit of excess, whatever you want to call it. And one day I am guaranteed to end up like this. It's funny, God used this like safe environment to illustrate like how we could live our lives, which is building up things that we are guaranteed to leave behind. Man, the frailty of life, the brevity of it all, that's what God taught me that day, oddly enough. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and he puts it this way, he says, for we brought nothing into this world and we get to take Nothing out of it. Because at the same time, I started reading um, a book. Almost the exact same day that all this happened, I started reading a book. Uh, oh, there's, there's my character. Yeah, so no big deal, whatever, you know. Um, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. That's how the book I started reading started. It's a weird start for any book, right? Like vanity of vanities, like... Much less, even more a book of the Bible. Like, why would somebody start off a book saying everything is vanity? And I remember reading that thinking, you'd expect to hear that from the loser. You'd expect to hear vanity of vanities from the guy who never accomplished anything he set out to do. You'd expect to hear that from the failure, from the slums of India, from a Cleveland Browns fan. Like, that is who you'd expect... Just finished the perfect season, you know? Um, 
But like, that's who we expect to hear from is the guy who didn't do anything he set out to accomplish. But what I found fascinating is the farther I read, the more I realized the guy who wrote these words, vanity of vanities, he wasn't a failure in life. And a lot of you guys know who I'm talking about. Solomon, he was actually the king of Israel and one of the most accomplished, influential, wealthy men to ever walk the face of this planet. And he wrote a book. And the dude who had everything started it off with this, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. So I'm going to talk to you a minute, just how, just how successful was Solomon? Let's talk about it. Um, the specifics of his wealth are recorded in 1 Kings 9 through 10. And this is what it says about his wealth. Every year, King Solomon received over 25 tons of gold. That's about 666 talents. Man, I would love to measure my gold in tons. That would be a great place. That's like a great financial package. How many tons of gold do you have saved? Um, talents were a weight of measuring money um, at roughly $1,150 per troy ounce. In today's market, a talent of gold is worth about $1,258,000. Solomon received 666 of these at his, as his base salary each year. This isn't everything. This is just his starting amount. His base income was $837,894,600. This doesn't include any of his taxes from Israel. Like This is just the start of it. 1 Kings 10.23 says this, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of earth. And yet, he writes this in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says this, he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is vanity. As the pleasure, he literally, he says this in Ecclesiastes. This is crazy. He says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Like, we don't even know what it's like to live that way. Everything we do is, we're like, we have barriers on our life due to finances or life circumstances. We don't even know what it's like to live that way. Man, imagine driving by the next Ferrari dealership. Anything your eyes desire. I could try that. I could do it. Listen, Solomon lived that life. We talk about, man, pursuing your dreams. That's all Solomon did, and he got them all. He says, I got everything my eyes desired. He says this, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. Verse 210, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And yet... Everything was vanity, chasing of the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Man, one thing I hear all the time is like, you want to be happy in life, just do what you're passionate about. Here's a dude who only ever did that. He lived of passion for his passions, and he's sitting here at the end of his life saying, yeah, vanity. As to accomplishments, Here's a guy who did great things with his life. Uh, Ecclesiastes 2.4 says this, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing tree. Man, extremely intelligent individual. 
dabbled in architecture, like all these things. Um, he built God's temple, and the temple he built is insane. He used uh, roughly 8 million pounds of gold and roughly 76 million pounds of silver in God's temple. Here's a crazy stat about uh, how amazing the temple Solomon built was. Uh, Solomon's temple would make up, uh, the gold in Solomon's temple would make up a cube six meters on a side. This is about one thirtieth of the gold that's ever been mined up to today's date. In other words, only 30 buildings like Solomon's temple could ever exist. And back then, way less of the percentage of the world's gold had been mined. Like it's insane how much Solomon had access to. And yet, Ecclesiastes 2.11, yet when I had surveyed all that my hands had done and all I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, vanity, chasing after the wind, and nothing was gained. As to fame, 1 Kings 10.24 says this, man, Famous dude. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God has put in his heart. And my own family isn't even that interested in my wisdom, you know? Like, the whole world sought audience with this guy. That's impressive. It says, there's this famous story about the Queen of Sheba coming to visit him. She travels, she's a queen, she's big time herself. She comes to see Solomon. And when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants even in their robes, his cupbearer and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, you know what it says? At her perspective on Solomon's lifestyle, it just says this, she was overwhelmed. She's living in grandeur herself. And she sees the way that Solomon's living and she can't even believe it. And yet, like here's a guy who had fame, fortune, success, power, respect. Like he wrote the book Song of Solomon. Like he had good earthly relationships. He is called by God the wisest person ever live. Go to the next slide for me. Um, let's say for a second that success was a mountain. You know, I'm like definitely somewhere near the bottom of this thing. I'll probably never be very high. Like all, most people on earth are climbing this mountain of success, right? Most of us are on here somewhere. Uh, Solomon did something that's almost never been done before in all of history. He like reached the top. And he pulls himself up over the final ledge and he looks down over his life. He looks down all the fame, all the money, all the success, all he built, everything he's done. And you know what? Instead of feeling fulfillment, he feels this overwhelming emptiness. And he sits down and he writes the book of Ecclesiastes and he says, vanity, vanities, Everything is vanity. Man, it blows my mind. Here's a guy who had everything I wanted in life and he's sitting on it and he starts off that book by saying, listen, if you want all these things, I'm just telling you, contentment, fulfillment, whatever you want to call it, it's not here. Um, 
at the risk of like way oversimplifying the issue at hand, um, what am I, as a kid, like my whole earthly child life revolved around the getting and acquiring of sugar, you know, that was like pretty much it for me as a kid. Like whatever I could do to get more and to receive, that was like what my kid's life was about. And I remember being like seven or eight years old, uh, going around and doing, like it's not like Halloween. We have like a Christian name for it, like harvest party or something. I don't know what you guys call it here, but I did Halloween and I went down to the houses. And I finished the night with this like ridiculous, it was impressive, okay? Uh, this ridiculously big bag of candy. And you know what? I bite into that first Kit Kat, right? And my little like seven-year-old philosopher self is like, behold, what else is there in life? I have done it all. There is nothing else for me to acquire. I'm sure there's some other stuff like marriage, whatever in the future, but right now, this, I have the best of whatever this earth has to offer me, right? With my bag of candy. And I have like no self-restraint. I ate the whole thing that night and I ended up like getting sick to my stomach. I threw up everywhere. Um, it was not a positive experience in the end. Um, listen, again, at the risk of way oversimplifying this issue, Solomon ate too much Halloween candy. Like guys, we're just the same. It's just the things we're chasing have gotten bigger and better and more expensive or more dangerous or whatever it is. Guys, we, oh my gosh, we're just the same as this. Rather than just chasing whatever the next thing is, sure that this, this, whatever house you're like, whatever the bigger, better house is, or the newer, better car, or that second boat, or whatever it is you think is what you need next. Man, we're all doing the same thing. It just changes over time. And the problem is, we never realize the emptiness of the things we're chasing until we have them. And then we find our hearts in the same condition, largely unsatisfied. The great thing is that the point of Solomon's book isn't that life doesn't carry any meaning or that it's all, like really at the end of the day, everything we could possibly do in this life is vanity. His point is this, that nothing can take place of God as the ultimate that anything else you try and replace it with, I don't care who you marry, I don't care who your, what your bank account is, I don't care whatever else you do in life, if God isn't it, man, come on. Um, I, I wanna share two stories of guys that were like kind of similar in, in Solomon's, Solomon's today. I'm in 2007, Famed New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady gave an interview on 60 Minutes with Steve Croft. At the time, Tom Brady had three Super Bowl wins. His team currently held a perfect 15-0 record. They would finish the season undefeated, something which hadn't been done in like 35 years. Sports writers would refer to this season as the best season ever by a quarterback. They beat every team by a margin of about two to one, which is ridiculous. Um, he had just been named Male Athlete of the Year by the Associated Press. He was dating a Brazilian supermodel. Had his current salary with the Patriots around $6 million. That didn't include any of his like, contracts outside of that. Uh, if you don't get my point yet, Tom Brady's life is better than yours, okay? And that is just the reality. There's no, like, I'm, you can't debate me on that one. And here's what he says in his interview. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? 
I mean, this can't be. This isn't what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. I think, man, it's gotta be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I love playing football and I love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. Um, Brad Pitt gave an interview in 1999 with Rolling Stone. He just made the movie Fight Club, from which he made $17.5 million. And this is how the interview starts. The point is, Brad Pitt says, the question has to be asked, what track are we on? Man, I know all these things are supposed to seem important to us, the car, the condo, our version of success, but if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more impotence and isolation and desperation and loneliness? If you ask me, I say, toss all this. We gotta find something else because all I know is that at this point in time, we're heading for a dead end, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And this is how he finished it. He says, I'm the guy who's got everything I know. But I'm telling you, once you get everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it again, it doesn't help you sleep any better at night, and you don't wake up any better because of it. Now, no one's gonna wanna hear that, I understand it. I'm sorry, I'm the guy who's gotta say it, but I'm telling you. I think that's one of the most profound lines I've ever heard. I'm telling you, once you get everything, then you're just left with yourself. And what we find with Solomon is a guy who's got everything, but he can't sleep at night. Listen, I don't even know if Brad Pitt and Tom Brady still feel this way, right? They've continued to have success. Tom Brady won another Super Bowl ring. Um, Brad Pitt continues to find box office success. I will be surprised if they've been able to shake that feeling entirely. This is how Solomon concludes his book. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Go to the next slide. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. So here I am, 17, sitting down, reading through Ecclesiastes. And this is how he ends the book. This is final thoughts for us. And this fear began to creep up the back of my neck. Not that I could live a short life, but that I could live for the wrong things. Man, did you ever feel desperate for purpose? Man, I hope I wake up every single day I ever live Desperate for purpose, not in the sense that I wonder where purpose is coming from, but desperate in the sense of, man, I want to live with purpose. I want to live for what matters in life. And here's Solomon concluding his book, giving us the heads up about what he thinks matters, and he gives us this little window and he says, I think you guys should pursue the eternal things. He talks about us meeting God one day. So I'm 17 again, sitting in my room. This is true. I took out a piece of paper and I made a list. I made the eternal list. I was like, all right, what's eternal here? And I sat down, I wrote eternal at the top. 
and I started to write down all the things that were eternal in life. Or down like, okay, God's eternal, I guess, you know. Um, the human soul, I think, is eternal. Had that down there. Um, God's word is eternal. I couldn't think of anything else. I guess angels are, you know. I had those three things written down there. And I asked myself a question. I asked, if this is what is eternal, and this is what I'll carry with me beyond, then what choices am I making that reflect this reality? I had the next 10 years of my life planned out. I knew what I wanted to do. I knew how much money I wanted to make. I got a job lined up with Pixar Animation Studios, which is like my dream job. I was going to be like an animator for them. I knew what I wanted out of life. And I was sitting there at my desk thinking, man, I barely even know who God is. My biggest fear is not that we would all fail in life. It's that we'd all succeed in all the things that don't matter. Just spin our wheels. That we would live for the big house or whatever next car comes out. That our lives would be wrapped up in the things of this world. And that when God beckons me into eternity, I could leave a life of like, in consequence. And isn't that terrifying? You know, Jesus, on his life, in his life here on earth, Jesus actually only bothers to mention Solomon two times. In all of recorded scripture, Jesus only bothers to pick up Solomon's name twice. The first time he picks it up, he tells everybody that he's greater than Solomon. And this is the second time he uses it. He says this, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arranged like one of these. Are you kidding me? Solomon, the queen just visited him and was like overwhelmed by his life. Jesus only talks about him twice in the whole New Testament. And the second time is just to say, I just love, like, he's so casual about it. He's, like, talking about the, one of the most successful people to ever walk the face of the planet. And he says this, he goes, Lilies of the field, better dressed than that guy. Like, you got to, like, this just, like, dripping with irony. Like, Jesus, like, we talk about what is Jesus' value? What is Jesus impressed by? Solomon, yeah, he had some money, I guess, but Lilies of the field, <laughs> better dressed than that guy. Oh, it's so good. You know, there's one story where Jesus is amazed. He's approached by a Roman centurion, and it says that Jesus is amazed by his faith. But the guy that the whole world stood in awe of, Solomon, Jesus is like, lowest of the field, better rest. Man, it doesn't matter if one day stadiums chant your name or they build statues in your honor whether all the wealth of men passes through your hands whether towers of ivory rise beneath your feet whether praises are sung whether a nation ever places a medal around your neck whether they write your name in the history book or if they even use it in 300 years at all 
even if you had all the centuries of this planet could offer, and you spent all that time seeking some light within or fulfilling every desire, whether good or bad, that you possibly could, what Solomon's here to tell us is this. It's just not enough. I think we're naive to think that the world doesn't have anything to offer us. I mean, the world's got plenty to offer. It's just not quite enough. And my hope for you and my hope for myself is if I ever decide to not believe this. If, you, if you're sitting here today and you're like not a Christian, you're just like, man, I just don't buy any of this stuff. I don't buy Jesus or whatever. My prayer for you guys, if you're a Christian here today and you're just chasing whatever it is, my prayer is this, that you get everything you could ever want out of life. That you get every dream, every passion you ever pursue so that one day you have the privilege of waking up with everything and then knowing for sure that's not enough. Man, it's a privilege to have experienced what Solomon experienced to wake up with everything and know it isn't enough. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, the American dream, which is totally, I think it's a fine thing. We talk about, you know, health, wealth, and happiness, whatever. Um, but separate that from the gospel. What does it really have? Just a scam. Health, wealth, and happiness, man, yeah, let's always be healthy, but let's never let our health stand in the way of following Jesus and recognize that eventually we're guaranteed to lose our health. Let us always be wealthy, but may our wealth never be about self-service. May our wealth be about advancing God's kingdom. May it be about being generous and kind to those around us. May we all be happy people, Let's tether our happiness, not to life's circumstances, but to an unchangeable God. May we all prosper, but may it be relationally with him. May we find success, but not the way that we define success, the way that God defines it. And with our lives, may we always seize tomorrow, whatever days the Lord gives us. May we seize that and use it for the eternal things. May we seize whatever tomorrow or the rest of today brings and use it to love the person that's next to us. To dig into his word, man, to know him. And the amazing truth is that God and Jesus, man, they want to, and they know us. They know us already. And they want us to know him, to have a relationship with him, to walk with him. Man, what a privilege. And what a waste that we could spend our years here, man, piddling around in the dirt. That's what Paul calls it. It's just dirt. We have the eternal riches of Christ before us. I only have one point to a whole talk here today. Um, is this my last slide? And pursue the eternal. Man, that's what Jesus' call is for us. Man, chase after the eternal things. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He said, what good to a man, what good to it is a, what good is it to a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul in the process? So let's be men and women who are willing to say no to even the good things in life, to chase after the eternal things. Let's pray.
God, thank you so much that you are a God who knows us, who wants to be known by us. I pray that we would just, uh, man, be, a, be Christians who would have focused eyes upon you, Lord, that, um, that whenever uh, something comes our way, that we would evaluate it by you and your character and your heart, Lord. Um, it's so easy to get caught up in these things of this world, but I pray that we would be um, a people that would um, seek and put our eyes upwards towards the eternal, Lord. Thank you again so much for today, and I pray all this, and amen. Well, what a, what a message for each one of us. Thank you, Matt. Paul said to the Colossians, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And uh, what a reminder for all of us. Matt's going to be our speaker, like I mentioned earlier, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, 7 o'clock. So if you have, uh, I, I'll even invite high school students. I know this is for middle school, but if you've got high school students that want to come and hear Matt speak, um, you're welcome to, to send them or bring them and just be a part of our evening services uh, Pastor Jerry's going to be in the back. You can sign up, talk about eternal things, our upward uh, flag football, cheerleading, and basketball. It's not about the sports. It's about sharing the name of Jesus with these kids. So that's an opportunity for you this morning that you could sign up and be a part of that. Lo lots of different ways that you can minister there. Please uh, pray for camp this week. You can join us at 5 if you'd like, um, but be praying throughout the week as we um, just bring the good news of the gospel and the truth of his word to these kids this week. So I uh, love you guys. God bless.